0: Hello, this is Pastor Ray. We had some technical problems this last weekend in recording our messages. And so I'm sitting in the comfort of our offices recording this message for you. Our current teaching series is how it changes everything. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 25. And the title of this particular study is Unstoppable Fire. I need to tell you a little bit of a story that happened just this last week. Uh, I was sitting in my, my study, my uh, my office is over at my home, and uh, as I was sitting there, I could smell something burning. And as I approached the kitchen, I went to the kitchen, I saw a lot of smoke coming from the kitchen, and I went into the kitchen, and the under-the-cabinet toaster oven was on fire. Apparently, my wife was trying to multitask, talk on the phone, and toast some toast, There in that toaster oven, and it was flaming big time. And uh, so I opened it up, and of course I should have known better as an ex-firefighter with Phoenix. Uh, I decided to try to blow it out. And all I did was make it, the flame bigger as it began to lick up onto the cabinets. And so I stopped doing that. I was able to grab a hold of, uh, with some utensils, grab a hold of the, the source of the fire and take it outside and, and get rid of it. And So I thanked my wife for almost burning down our house and also giving me a great... Uh, sermon illustration to kick off our study this weekend. And so uh, my question is, have you ever tried to put a fire out and the harder you worked, the more it spread? Um, God's love is an unstoppable fire, and the harder people try to stomp it out, the more it spreads. And that's kind of a thesis statement of Acts chapter 8, persecution, persecution breaks out against the church, and the harder people try to stop them from proclaiming the name of Jesus, this amazing love that he has shown them and he shows us, all it does is spread it throughout the world. Um, a couple of verses I wanted to start off with is kind of our intro, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive into our text. Is Song of Solomon, chapter eight, verses six to seven. This is what it says. It And it's kind of a metaphor for God's love for us, our love for God. It, God's love, burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench it. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. I I thought those verses fit perfectly with this idea. Of God's love being an unstoppable fire. When, when you have the love of God, nothing compares. When you have the love of God, nothing competes with His love. When you have the love of God, nothing completes you like His extravagant love. We love Him... Because He first loved us, not the other way around. If you try to do it the other way around, it becomes very religious, like you're trying to earn His love. You don't need to earn His love. He pours His extravagant love into us, and we respond to His extravagant love by loving Him extravagantly. In fact, when, when you've experienced His extravagant love, you can't help but love Him extravagantly. I mean, And it's one thing to know God loves you. It's altogether another thing to experience His love. And, uh, for instance, it's, it's one thing to know that honey is sweet, but it's altogether another thing to have that sweetness on your tongue. And so my heart, my prayer, as we work through this study, that indeed you would not just know about God's love, that you would experience His love, and it would be like that unstoppable fire within your heart. And so let me begin by praying, and and then we'll read our text, and then we will unpack uh, this text. There are uh, three things we're going to be looking at, God's plan for spreading His love, God's process for spreading His love, and then God's purpose for spreading His love. I think it's all right here in this text, uh, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 25. Let me begin with prayer, and then we'll dive into our text. Father in heaven... How great is your love that you have, have lavished upon us that through the death of your Son, our Savior, that we, would, we should be called your children. And that is what we are. May we be rooted and established in your love today through the study of the very words from your mouth. Give us the ability to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of your love. Not just intellectually, but existentially know your love. Though it is too great to understand fully, we know that. So, so let us know your love and experience your love so that we will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from you so that we can more fully know your plan, your process, and purpose for spreading the unstoppable fire of your love throughout this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me begin by reading uh, Acts chapter 8. We're going to work through verses 1 through 25. I'm going to comment briefly as we work through this text. And then then we will work on the notes with these three big statements that I just mentioned. so let me begin reading Acts chapter eight, verse one, and Saul approved of his execution, talking about Stephen. We talked about that the previous week stephen 's execution. Uh, stephen was murdered. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. Now, this is very amazing. Here's a people that are under heavy persecution, and they're being scattered throughout the region, throughout the land. And what would you think that they would be doing, kind of hunkering down, trying to hide out, trying to help people, get people to help them in some way. No, they're going about preaching the word. What does that mean that they were preaching the word? Well, verse 5 tells us, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed, proclaimed to them the Christ. So we could say that preaching the word is proclaiming Christ. Anytime you study the scripture, uh, you need to be reminded of this, that uh, the study of God's word is not... uh a bunch of lessons in morality or Aesop's fables of the morals of these stories or whatever you might make it, like it's some sort of how-to manual. It's, it's really a book about Jesus. And first and foremost, it should take us to Jesus and help us to see more clearly the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so, in the preaching of the Word, they are proclaiming the beauty and the glory of Christ. Verse 6, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Verse 9, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And I want you to take note of the detail that Luke puts in here as how fascinated and how captivated these people were with this guy by the name of Simon who has some sort of magic, practiced magic and attracted the attention of the people. Verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time... He had amazed them with his magic. But you'll notice there's kind of a change here. It's almost what I would call the explosive power of a new affection. They are captivated now with something that's even much greater than the magic of this Simon, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, As he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So immediately they put their faith in this person and work of Jesus Christ. And, of course, the first thing you want to do when you make a confession of faith is to make that public through water baptism. And it even says in verse 13, even Simon himself believed and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. So, I mean, there's so many things that clamor for our attention in our society today, and we have so many people that that pursue and are captivated by many things in creation. But when you encounter the Creator, when you encounter the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you begin to see that His beauty, His glory, who He is, His love and power exceeds any other love and power in this world. And that's what happened to these folks And so in verse 14, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for they had not yet... For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. They're very similar to that of Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the people. Some call this the the second experience. All we know is that when the Holy Spirit, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is working in our life, there will be this intensified uh, fervency and love and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now notice Peter's response here, verse... 20 but Peter said to him may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money you have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you so I mean you see this guy's conversion experience the motives for his conversion is being exposed, and you really get a sense that this was a false conversion that Simon had experienced, because you see that he was coming to God to get from God to use God, And, uh, and then Peter goes on, verse 23, "...for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity." Now, now let's see if Simon has true repentance. It tells us in the 7th chapter of 2 Corinthians that there is a, a godly repentance and a worldly repentance. A worldly repentance is where we are sorry for the pain the sin is causing us. We're sorry that we got caught. We're sorry for the pain that the sin caused us. But a godly repentance is that we are sorry for, this, for the pain that the sin has caused God. In other words, we begin to recognize that our sin, any time we live a life that's contrary to, to what the Bible teaches us, in essence, it's a trampling on the love and the wisdom of God and that all sin is ultimately against the love and wisdom of God and what He wants for us and what is in our best interest. So let's see if Simon has godly repentance Or worldly repentance. And so, verse 24, And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So it sounds like he has more of a worldly repentance. He's more concerned about the pain that it's causing him, now that his true motives have been have been exposed. And by the way, I think that all of us initially do come to God to get from Him, but at some point it it needs to transfer over from wanting to get from Him and use God to wanting to be with God because being with God and knowing God is better by far than anything that we could ever get from Him. I mean, His presence, P.R., P-R-E-S-E-C-E, S-E-N-C-E, something like that. His presence, his personhood, who he is, is better by far than his presence, his gifts that he can give to us. And then the story concludes here. In fact, this is where we're going to end the reading of our text, uh, verse 25. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of, of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. This is the word of the Lord. Now, let's work through this study. God's plan for spreading his love. Uh, As you well remember, it's the summary verse to the whole book of of Acts. It's Acts one eight. You remember that verse? It's a summary verse, kinda of describes the whole book, kind of a, kind of a thesis statement for the whole book. Jesus said to his disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, literally martyrs in Jerusalem, that's where they lived, in Judea, kind of their backyard neighborhood. Uh, So Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, cross-cultural, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The problem is, amazingly, um, they didn't, in these concentric circles, move out into the world. They kind of stayed in their little holy huddle. And so, amazingly, God had to use persecution to get them to do what he had told them to do. Which I think it brings up a really important point. In some ways, the worst thing for the spread of the gospel is success and a comfortable life. I mean, that's exactly what's happening here in America today, as we see ourselves uh, spiraling downward spiritually. Right after 9-11, the church is packed out. Our church packed out for about a month to two months, and then everything went right back to normal. God's math for spreading his love is P plus S equals E. P, persecution, plus scattering. Equals evangelism. I mean, that's what we see in this text and in this story of the spreading of God's unstoppable fire of His love. So first of all, persecution. If you have your notes right there, that's the first fill-in-the-blank. Persecution, verse 1. There arose great persecution. Also, I don't know if you noticed this, but in verse 3, it says that Saul, remember Saul, will become Paul after he encounters Uh, The Risen Christ, chapter 9 of Acts. So Saul was ravaging the church. The Greek word uh, translated ravaging was used to describe a wild animal ripping apart the body of another animal. It'd be like a mountain lion attacking a grazing sheep, just ripping its skin and flesh off of its bones. So this is no small thing that the church is experiencing. So there's persecution. This leads to scattering. Verse 1, it says, and they were all scattered. But you'll notice also that in verse 2 that we read, why would Luke insert this, verse 2, great lamentation over him, that is, Stephen? I think that's critical. I think it's important because, and this is what I love about Christianity. Christianity is never a denial of reality but it's an, it's an embracing of, of a bigger reality in the, in the smaller reality. Yeah, life is difficult, life is tough, but the reality of God being for us and not against us is much bigger than that. So the Bible does say that we need to recognize, yeah, there are difficult times in our lives. We need to grieve those losses as these guys are grieving the loss of Stephen. And yet, it tells us in First Thessalonians 4.13, we grieve, but not like the world without hope. And so, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we are to deny reality or try to escape from reality or anesthetize ourselves from reality. But we we acknowledge, you know, our circumstances and the things that are happening to us. But in the midst of that, we have hope because there's a greater reality, and that is Christ and who He is and how much He loves us. And then so it goes from persecution, scattering, to evangelism. Verse 4, those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. It just totally amazes me that it seems as though that they would be uh, concerned for their own life and well-being, and yet their preoccupation is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, having having encountered uh, this resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus. So let me ask you some questions. I think it would be appropriate uh, for these uh, for this persecution, scattering, and evangelism. Is is life tough lately? People, things, circumstances, kind of hammering you, working you over. Maybe you're even receiving a, a measure of of persecution. Are you feeling a little scattered as a result of uh, the topsy-turning of things in your life? Things are kind of being stirred up, and so it creates a scattering within you. Have you been fired from your job, transferred to a different city, moved to a new school or a new neighborhood? Well, let me ask you this: why would God do this? Why would He do this? Here's why I believe that he allows these things to happen, and we see this in the first century church, is it's because he loves you and the people he has surrounded you with too much to let spiritual passivity to take hold. God is more concerned with your holiness and your wholeness than your happiness. He's more concerned with your character than your comfort. And, um, let me give you just a couple of illustrations. We live in a society today that we are really big about comfort and happiness and all these things, and, uh, and even as parents, the, the average American parent, uh, tends to, uh, want the happiness of their child and the comfort of their child, uh, more than anything, and, uh. And quite frankly, I mean, I mean, that's crazy when you think about it. Um, and in fact, it seems as though American parents uh, work hard to provide the very thing that is probably the worst for their child, and that is an easy life. And yet you need to know that you have a daddy in heaven who won't allow that to take place. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 makes that very clear and uh, He loves you way too much, um, God, will always, God will always seek your eternal good at the expense of your temporal happiness and comfort. I mean, it's never, ever the other way around. And uh, He's more concerned with your eternal good than He is your temporal happiness. And because Jesus is better than life, you and I do not need to be overly attached to the temporal, and, and therefore the good days are leaveable and the bad days are durable, and therefore in the midst of whatever days we go through, we can become a display case of God's greatness and goodness, no matter what goes down no matter what goes down in our life. And, and that's what we see these people doing. And it's really amazing that no matter where they are scattered to, they are a display case of God's glory and goodness. And so God's plan for spreading His love is persecution scattering evangelism. And so He allows those things to happen in our life because it develops character, but it also gives opportunity for us to put on display the glory and the goodness of God, regardless of what's going down in our life. Here's the next point. God's process for spreading His love. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 14, and this is uh, one of the cross-references, and you can study this out further with on the growing notes. But in 586 B.C., Jerusalem was destroyed, and the elite Jewish society were taken to Babylon by force. So uh, people were drug off, and they were in exile. The prophet Jeremiah received a word from the Lord that he passed on to the exiles and basically it said seek the peace and prosperity of the city and when they prosper you will prosper. Now what's interesting is that he says that because they're in exile they're living on a foreign land they've been drug off to be slaves and they're working within a a, a very foreign society and community and culture and I don't know if you know this there are a couple verses that are Memorized found in jeremiah twenty nine eleven and thirteen within this text of Jeremiah telling these people that are in exile to seek the peace and prosperity of the city, and when they prosper, you will prosper but jeremiah 29:11 is one is, is a memory verse that many people memorize not realizing the context that it's in jeremiah 29:11 says i know the plans i have for you says the lord plans to prosper you not to harm you plans to give you hope in a future i mean that's in the context of exile and in verse 13 of jeremiah 29 it says you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart now that's pretty amazing It's almost that God is saying, yeah, I allowed this exile to take place. Yeah, you're in a foreign land. Yes, you've been conquered and drug off into a place where you probably don't want to be. But if you'll seek the peace of of the city, of this land, I'm going to bless you. I will bless them. I will bless you. And in the midst of this... You know, I know that I, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And if you'll seek me in the midst of this, you will find me. And so that's all part of God's plan and part of his process. So what is it? What does that look like? What does it look like to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city? What does it look like that when you've been under persecution, you've scattered, what does this evangelism look like? Well, here's the next fill-in-the-blanks on the notes. I believe it looks like someone who's a satisfied customer. That no matter where you go, that you show that you have great satisfaction in God. Your satisfaction is not in the people, things, and circumstances, but it is in God. Notice verse 11, it says, "...they were all scattered." Except the apostles. Did you find that quite interesting? The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but everybody was scattered. There's now probably about fifteen to twenty thousand people who have come to faith in Jerusalem. And some fifteen to twenty thousand people are scattered throughout the region, through from Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Acts one eight. And uh and so let me ask you this question. Who has the greater influence? The paid professional, which would be me, which would be the apostles, or the satisfied customers, which would be uh, you, which would be all of these people who have confer- converted to Christianity that are now scattered. B- I, believe it or not, I, and I'm sure you could probably believe this, that it's not the paid professionals that have the greatest input input and impact. It's actually the satisfied customers. And I believe that's part of God's divine design. It's not me. Oftentimes people say, well, you know, of course he's going to say that because he's a pastor. But when people hear you out in the workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family... And you are proclaiming the name of Jesus that you find greater satisfaction in Him than in anything else. Your satisfaction is not based on people, things, and circumstances of your life. But they see that true satisfied customer attitude. Uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty attractive. So here's my question for you. Does your life make God look gorgeous? Does your life make God look attractive? Uh, are you a satisfied customer... Or a disgruntled employee of God's glory? Great question. Now, you will make God look attractive. You will, it will happen as you focus not on what to do, on what you're supposed to do, but on what has been done for you, when you look at the cross, when you focus on the cross, when you look at his extravagant love for you, boy, that changes your heart. And then it's going to be natural for your heart to be filled up with his love. And then, um, and then people will see that in your life. So satisfied customer, here's the next one, wherever you go, that you would be a satisfied customer, wherever you go, verse one, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. I think there's another great lesson here that we can learn. The important and decisive factor in life is not what happens to me, but what happens in me. How a person mentally evaluates an event determines how he feels about that event and how he will behave in response to that event. It's why you can have two people going through identical circumstances and one becomes bitter and the other becomes actually better. And so wherever you go, you can be a satisfied customer. But along with that, next point on your notes, no one is beyond God's reach. That you would convey in the context of the satisfied customer attitude that wherever you go, no one is beyond God's reach. Verse 5 of our text, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. That's pretty astonishing. Because the Jews rejected the Samaritans as an unclean, heretical, mixed race of people. They were lost. They were hopeless. And uh, and yet, that's not how Philip sees it, because he's encountered the grace of God. By the way, um, I think that uh, something that's real important for us to understand... Is uh, and I, I think this kind of goes along with this. I think this is this would be a little bit like uh, think Israelis and Hezbollah in Lebanon. That's kind of the the cross cultural kind of ministry that Philip is doing here. Or how about Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland? Or how about Black slaves and white masters in Confederate South? Or liberals and conservatives in American politics? If you lose hope for anybody or have contempt for anybody, then you have forgotten that you are a sinner saved by grace. And and so this whole idea of uh, seeking the peace and the prosperity of the city... Um, And this whole idea of evangelism, it's satisfied customer, wherever you go, no one is beyond God's reach, and then you do this by show and tell, deed and word. Everything you need to know about evangelism, you learned in kindergarten, show and tell. I talked about that a few weeks back. Verse 6 of our text, they heard him, that is Philip, and saw the signs he did. And so... um, Show them what a friend they have in you, that's what Philip was doing, so that you can tell them what a friend they have in Jesus. Here's what's amazing about the gospel. In Christ, we have all the love we need. Therefore, we can love even our enemies and not need anything in return. Uh, Besides that, There is only one power that exists on this planet that conquers sin, heals wounds, ultimately changes the world one life at a time, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here we go, satisfied customers, wherever you go, no one is beyond God's reach, show and tell, deed and word. And then here's the last one under this heading of God's process for spreading his love. Bring joy, bring joy to the city. And then I added, uh, bring joy to your home, your church, your job, your neighborhood. Verse 8, it says, so there was much joy in the city. So here's another great question for you. Does your presence bring joy to your home, to your job, to your neighborhood, to your church? And I guess that that needs to be followed up with another question. Are you a consumer or a contributor of joy through radical generosity, positive attitude, trustworthy character, and a ministry of mercy and hospitality within your circle of touch? God never calls you radically in to Him for blessing, which is unbelievably amazing, without sending you radically out to be a blessing. God blesses us to be a blessing. And, and, and you see that throughout Scripture. It's pretty amazing. Um, and uh, I like what uh, Tim Keller has to say in Gospel in Life. Uh, he says, Jesus, Isaiah, James, John, and Paul, also ministry of mercy... Uh, in, In essence, bringing joy to your home, job, neighborhood, church, doing all that we just said here. Satisfied customer wherever you go. No one is beyond God's reach. Show and tell the gospel and then bringing joy to the city. So Jesus, Isaiah, James, John, Paul all saw ministry as a way to judge between true and false Christianity. A merely religious person, who believes God will favor him because of his morality and respectability will ordinarily have contempt for the outcast. Hey, I worked hard to get where I am, and so can anyone else. That is the language of the moralist heart. But the heart that has been captivated by the love and grace of God goes something like this. I am only where I am by the sheer and unmerited mercy of God I am completely equal with all other people. See, that's the language of a Christian's heart, a sensitive social conscience and a life poured out in deeds of mercy to the needy is the inevitable sign of a person who has grasped the doctrine of God's grace. Uh, when you look through Scripture, there's this uh, distinction between wicked and righteous. And wicked are always, in Scripture, are those who put their own economic, social, and personal needs ahead of the community. But the righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves for the advantage of the community. And uh, and so, really, that's that's what we're seeing here, that as these people are being scattered, they are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and deed, and they're showing that they are indeed satisfied customers, bringing joy to the city. Let me get to the very last last big idea here. So we've talked about God's plan for spreading His love, persecution, scattering, evangelism, and then God's process for spreading His love, satisfied customers, wherever you go. No one is beyond God's reach. Show and tell, and then bringing joy to your home, job, neighborhood, church city but now to God's purpose for spreading his love kind of the big why question let me read to you first John 4 7 through 19 um, let me find it here first John first John 4. Maybe you can turn there also. First John 4, starting at verse 7 all the way to verse 19. These are amazing verses about God's love. I'll just comment briefly as we work through it. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation means that the wrath of God that was meant for us because of our sins and rebellion against a holy righteous God was placed upon Jesus, upon the cross. Amazing verse. And so he says in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, I mean, if you understand the extent of this sacrificial love, we also ought to love one another. So it's going to be a natural overflow of our lives. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. In other words, we haven't seen God. This is second-generation Christians, unlike John, who's writing this, who saw God in the flesh through Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey... You haven't seen God, but you're going to see God working when we love one another. That's, that's God's work as, we pour, as as He pours His love into our lives and it overflows our lives to one another. Verse 13, "...by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because because He has given us His Spirit." And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So when you make a confession of faith, you have the Holy Spirit that comes to live within you. You begin to be able to really experience God's love unlike ever before. And so, verse 16, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. Those are amazing, amazing verses. So here's God's purpose for spreading His love. Why would He do this? How does He do this? The big why question, really, is there's no match by far to God's power and love. That's the next fill in the blank under the heading, God's purpose for spreading His love. There's no match by far to God's power and love. We saw this in uh, verses 9 through through 12, and even to verse 13 in our text, Simon practiced magic and amazed the people. Verse 10, all paid attention. This man is the power of God that is called great. Verse 11, they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. So there's a lot of things that we are amazed at in our society. Athletic stars, uh, we have uh, not just athletic stars, but movie stars and rock stars, and people are amazed at what they do and how they perform. And yet, that doesn't even come close to when you are amazed by who Jesus is. Look at verse 12. But they believed Philip as he preached the good news, and they were baptized. And immediately, I mean, they give their lives to him. It says in verse 13, "...even Simon believed and was baptized." The gospel is historical, it's personal, it's transformational, it's, it's experiential, but but particularly it is irresistible. Once you've tasted of his good, goodness, nothing compares... And and you'll have a ferocious appetite for more of him that will eventually crowd out all other competitors. And that's what you see happening. There is no match by far to God's power and love. Here's the next point. His power and love changes the loves of our heart. Changes really, really our treasure. What is it that we treasure the most? And uh, verses 14 through 17, Peter and John come from Jerusalem to lay hands on them for the receiving of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The the fullness of the Holy Spirit is just really increased zeal and fervor for Christ. We also see in verses 18 through 24, Simon's conversion motives are revealed. that, That It was really a false conversion, that God was a means to an end rather than the end. But when you see his power and love changes the loves of your heart, you begin to have the right motives. He becomes the treasure of your life. Next fill in the blank on your notes, next thought. So there's no match by far to God's power and love. His power and love changes the loves of our heart, our treasure. And then God loves all of us as if there is only one of us. I mean, why this scattering through the world? And then this story about Simon... Because God loves all of us as if there's only one of us. I mean, He pursues us. He passionately pursues us and loves us. This is what makes Him the greatest love of our hearts in our life. Listen to a couple of quotes from C.S. Lewis. This is what really ultimately changes our heart when we begin to see this degree of God's love for us. C.S. Lewis says, When Christ died, He died for you individually just as much as if you had been the only person in the world. Here is another quote by C.S. Lewis. God has infinite attention to spare for each one of us. You are as much alone with Him as if you were the only being He had ever created. That's... That's mind-blowing. That is amazing. So here's our last point. So God's purpose for spreading His love is there's no match by far to God's power and love. His power and love changes the loves of our heart. God loves all of us as if there's only one of us. But here's how it comes out in our life. And this is what we see in our text, in this story of Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 25, as they are spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. A heart for the lost... And a life poured out to reach them is the inevitable outcome and sign of true faith. Let me say it again. That's the last point on our notes. A heart for the lost and a life poured out to reach them is the inevitable outcome and sign of true faith. Verse 25... Uh, It it says that these uh, apostles who came into town, they continued to go throughout the region and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because it wasn't about them. It was about Jesus. Now, unlike Simon, who was very self-centered in his conversion, which self-centeredness makes everything else a means to an end, even God, as we see in Simon's life, but because God gave his life for you, Out of that fullness, you naturally give your life for others so that they can experience what you have experienced. If you don't want other people to know what you have in Christ, then what you have isn't very potent. And it's not not anything compared to what these first century Christians had. Once you've tasted fellowship with God... You have to want anyone else you care about to know it too. And so that's what we see happening in the lives of these first century Christians, and it can happen in our lives. Let's pray as we conclude our time together and in this study. God, thank you. Thank you for this study. And God, we pray indeed that even as you may be bringing persecution, difficulties in our lives, you know, through the people, things, and circumstances of our lives, and our lives seem to be scattering, Lord, I pray that wherever you may take us, that our lives would be a witness for you and that, uh, and that, and that we would begin to show more and more that you and knowing you is better than life. And that we would show that we are satisfied customers in you. And that wherever we go, we would show that satisfaction in you. And that we would realize that no one is beyond your reach. And that we would demonstrate the gospel by by what we do, how we treat others. And what we By our deeds, but also in our words. And that we would bring joy to our homes, to our jobs, to our neighborhoods. God, thank you that there is no match by far to your power and love. And that, that we pray that you would continue to transform our hearts, the love of our heart. May you be the love of our heart. And and that we would realize more and more that you love all of us as if there's only one of us. We can have this personal, intimate relationship with you. And so, God, may we live our lives uh, with a heart for the lost and a life poured out to reach them. God, we know that that is the outcome and the sign of a true faith in you. May your love compel us to do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.